Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. A big thank you to the wonderful Eddie Diamond for taking you through mornings today on FBI Radio 94.5. My name is Mia Hull and this show is called Out of the Box. This week I am joined by a name that's synonymous with a voice and it's a voice you've most likely heard on your radio before. Lindsay the Dr McDougall is the current host of Drive on ABC Illawarra and before that spent 10 years presenting radio on Triple J. You might have also heard the noises his fingers make because he plays guitar with Frenzel Rom, Briggs and lots of other bands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lindsay, mm-hmm. thank you for joining me That's on the show okay, today. That's okay, Mia. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Let's start from the beginning. Okay. Where did you grow up? In Sutherland Shire. I grew up in Engadine, um, which is like, if people think of the Sutherland Shire, they normally think of the Cronulla riots or at least Cronulla and the beach and everything, but I was from the westy side. So much so, and I was telling the story the other day, that when I got off uh, the in my school uniform, uh, got off the train at Cronulla to go to the beach, the surfers would push me back onto the train and say, no, you have to go back to Sutherland and back how, to England. How did they know you weren't a surfer? Because, well, well believe it or not, I don't look, no, there was the school uniform. I think it was the St. John Bosco primary school uniform or high, high school uniform it would have been, yep. And back. what's Sutherland like in the 80s? Um, I think in one word, it's white. It's very white. It was. Uh, uh, I, I, I remember I was mates with the one Vietnamese guy in school, Jack. Hi, Jack. In fact, he. This is, sounds like a stereotype. He he took us to his house to show us the internet in like 1992, I think, or 1993 in Karingbar. Um, but it was pretty close-minded. Um, I got bashed a lot because I liked the Cure and stuff like that. Um, I got. Um, I had to miss a day of school to get my hair dyed back blonde because I put a red streak in my hair, probably because Kurt Cobain had done it or something. So, um, yeah, it wasn't uh, the most um, uh, open-minded place in the world. What was your family shaped like? Uh, very standard. Two uh, two younger brothers who are twins or musicians. They're playing a band called Ebola Goldfish, uh, uh, although they didn't back then. And uh, they had their first gig on their 18th birthday, I remember. Uh, and, and my parents, who split up when I was about 15, I guess. And uh, mum moved to Colcliffe, which is just at the very top of, uh, of the Illawarra, which is pretty good in terms of having a place in Colcliffe in the 90s because it's a it's pretty fancy part of town these days. <laughs> yeah, And my dad, so my dad um, and my mum both at one point owned toy shops. It's just pretty ridiculous. Do you have unlimited access to toys I did when you were a kid? I, when I was a kid, yeah. I, I remember I had like all of the Masters of the Universe uh, and I had lots of action man figures and I had a Barbie. I had the Barbie who um, you could cut her hair and then you could twist uh, a cog in her back and she'd grow more hair. It was, it was a very 80s Barbie. So your brothers started playing music mm. when they were 18 or yeah. started their band when they yeah. were 18. Was your family very musical growing up? Uh, musical in a musical theatre sense. Okay. My dad uh, got us in a musical, as did mum. My brothers, they, uh, they played Oliver in a production of Oliver. I think it was probably the Miranda Musical Society. And then a couple of years later, I played the Artful Dodger in another production of uh, the Engadine Musical Society production of Oliver, and it was glorious. Jumping around on stage, prancing about, um, it was very fun. And then I got to do it in a few more musicals, and then um, that's when I started learning. Well, I le- was learning piano around that time, and then started learning guitar. 
And so it was, and then my brother started, my brothers actually started learning um, brass instruments first because my dad put them in the army reserves because they were naughty and they, they got into army band and, uh, and then they started learning guitar and bass after that as well. But yeah, it was, we, our parents were very, very um, supportive of all musical endeavors. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Where were you in life when you started to consider music as something that you could do as an adult? I mean, I always wanted to, when I was, before I started learning guitar, so I learned guitar and learned guitar, learned guitar in year eight. And before that I'd drawn a, in art class, drawn this um, stage set up of me playing keyboards like like one of those like 80s keyboard racks with all the keyboards everywhere. Um, but then, yeah, it wasn't something. People from Engadine and Sutherland Shire generally didn't um, do much besides play covers. And I did play a lot of covers, playing a lot of Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and that sort of covers and Nirvana covers and, and Metallica and Guns N' Roses, all the stuff you play. And then uh, by that, yeah, by 18, so I would finish high school, turning 18, I was playing in a couple of bands one band doing originals music pretty much that was the only band I was really playing and we were going in like university band comps and that kind of thing and that was really like I didn't think that was much was going to happen and then it was about that time that I because I was quite into punk rock and was watching a lot of Australian music as well um, which was kind of separate to the music that I was playing in that other band and um, that's when I found out that the guy, the the first guitarist in Friends of Ron, Ben, was leaving. And I was like, oh, maybe I could audition for that. And I remember just thinking that, you know, if I got in Friends of Ron, I wouldn't, you know, I'd never have to work again. I'd be like buying cars and stuff. And then I quickly realized that that wasn't the case. But yeah, so it wasn't, I, I didn't actually realize or didn't think or even plan that music was going to be a career. It was just like this opportunity came along or I, I heard it on a radio station. I was writing driving home from work or being driven home from work at Coles and I heard that Frenzel Rom were auditioning for um, new guitarists and I sent them a tape that I'd made and that's how I got the audition and so it really wasn't like a plan or even a career strategy or anything it was just that happened and then from then on I kind of just started playing music. And I do want to talk about your time in Frenzel Rom mm. in a few minutes because it is something that's continued right up until now. Mm. But before Friends of One, you were in a tribute band. Hmm. <laughs> yes. Tell me about that. Who's that? Oh, for? this is great. This is so. If uh, oh, Rob Hinks probably isn't um, isn't listening because he lives in Melbourne these days. But um, so one of my favourite bands when I was young was Tism. This is Serious Mum. I got to see them at. Um, uh, I think the big day out was the first time I saw them. I was under 18, so I couldn't go and see them at uh, all of their club shows, and I wasn't very good at um, getting into over 18 shows because, generally speaking, I don't look over 18 at the best of times, especially back then. So, uh, yeah, so I got to see them at big day out in maybe 93 or 94, and then uh, again at the start of 96. But, yeah, we were such big fans of Tism. We uh, had every cassette at first and then cds and we'd go we'd occasionally forget to go to school and get on the train and go to red eye records and ashwoods and lawson's in the city and just go looking through record racks and we'd find every copy of uh great trucking songs of the renaissance and hot dogma and i think uh about and also gentlemen start your egos um which was i think the compilation version of form and meaning reach ultimate communion anyway there's lots of tism stuff that was sort of was already out and then they started putting out um they put out Beast of Suburban and uh, the other one, uh, which I can't, which is was renamed Censored Due to Legal Advice, but um, it was originally called something else, which you can look up. But um, the so we loved them so much, we started a covers band called Tisn't, which I think is still the greatest name for any Tism cover band. I don't know how many. I've never actually heard any other Tism cover bands. I'm sure there are. 
But uh, and the extent of it was that we would put on balaclavas and jump around Rob's room with his all of his NME posters all over his walls, or um, at Luke Shepard's house as well. We'd jump around his room uh, or my house and uh, and sing along to Tism songs or try and play them. At school, we did actually play. Uh, Young Talent Time came out uh, on Machiavelli and the Four Seasons. In fact, it was sort of one of the lead singles of that. Uh, and we played a version of that at school, although we changed all the lyrics. There was kind of it's one of those songs that just name checks a bunch of pe- bunch of people that have had very small amounts of fame and then uh, sunk into the ether. And so we just kind of changed it to be about our school friends. And we played it at the end of school. I feel it was like what we played at the end of uh, end of year twelve, maybe. And just changed all the names to people from the school. It would be a very interesting thing to hear if we ever heard that again. I'm sure it wasn't particularly complimentary. But yeah, so that was my that was my uh, first tribute band, Tisn't. Because, and they still, uh, still to this day, I still love listening to Tism songs. I think they've aged, a lot of the songs have aged very, very well. Amazing. A huge introduction. <laughs> Let's jump into one right now on FBI Radio 94.5. This is Tism. The track's called Lily Caught Dilly, Bold Milly Vanilli, and it comes with a language warning. You're listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB, or if you're streaming online, that was a track by Tism, and it was selected by my guest on Out of the Box, Lindsay the Doctor McDougall. 
I want to talk about the title, The Doctor, because mm. it does come from a real medical scenario originally. <laughs> it depends. It depends which story <laughs> you've believed. One of the things that, um, that Frenzel Rom started doing very early on, or at least when I was in the band, was just, and prior to that, was make a lot of stuff up because um, I, I think we were pretty used to being treated like idiots by interviewers for good reason we were idiots uh, and so we just started making stuff up but um when i joined so so the the story we told people which was a lovely story was that jason had uh had had passed out in a in a rider bucket he almost died uh in the 90s this was probably around 1996 i joined the band recently it was one of our first tours he'd uh i'd come off backstage after you know we finished the show i'd come backstage and found him head first in the rider bucket not breathing and so I gave him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Uh, I brought him back from the dead. He saw the light while he was there, all of this kind of stuff. I think he even started, when he, when he woke up, he started, he, he was so appreciative, he st- we started tongue-kissing. I think I remember all of these stories we tell people. Um, and that's how I became the doctor. Um, it's entirely untrue, though. <laughs> it was actually because when I joined the band, and I remember we were at Feedback in Newtown, which is uh, an old venue next to, on top of the Newtown train station, which is long gone now. I think it's a some sort of taco bar or something now. Um, and uh, the the guys after I'd played a few songs and they they sort of were, were fairly sure that I was the guy to be in the band. I didn't know really what was going on, but I just remember them one of them saying, "We just we can't have a guy named Lindsay in the band." <laughs> you know, there was like a Ben at the time and a J. You know, cool named people and. Um, uh, and Lindsay, I think, ruined the symmetry. So they instead decided to call me Dr. Lindemans instead of Lindsay. Doc- Dr. Lindemans being the mascot for Lindemans, the cheap cask wine. And there's this, you know, this, make me smile, Dr. Lindemans, this ad that was showing people in top hats getting pissed in a park. It was, it was glorious. So I was Dr. Lindemans, and I used to sign Dr. L, I think, on people's stuff, or, or Lindemans, and a lot of people uh, called me Lindemans, but eventually it got shortened to Doctor and the Doctor. And so I have no medical skills and I have saved no people's lives that I'm aware of. Yeah, here I was thinking you were a hero. <laughs> I give plasma every fortnight. So, yeah. you know, indirectly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's interesting when uh, working in radio, as I do in Wollongong at the moment, uh, a lot of people, uh, Triple J listeners, live in Wollongong. And so they, occasionally callers will be coming up telling me about some traffic or telling me about a local footy or telling me what's going on in Wollongong and they'll call me the doctor. And it's a funny little reminder because, it, yeah, it lived on through Triple J, of course. And it started when you started in Friends of Rum, 1996. So yeah, what's yeah. that, 25 years yeah. ago? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's such a long time to be in. To have a weird character and to be in a silly <laughs> band. Yeah. Well, the band started in 91. So, uh, like, so yeah, they have 30 years for Friends of Rum this year, which is ridiculous. What's it like to be in the same band for that long? What kind of evolution have you seen in Friends of Rum? Oh, it's the, um, I mean, the t- going from absolutely ridiculous Drinking far too much and all that to to be very to going to very sensible. Uh, Jason was quite sick at one point, so he stopped drinking for ages. It's sort of at the start of the two thousands. That was twenty years ago, and then going back up to uh, finding a um, a kind of a, a nice kind of uh, middle ground of uh, you know getting messed up occasionally, but not too much. Although I have stopped drinking recently, but um, it's uh, I think we have got to this point now when. We only see each other when we play gigs. It's we're very because we live in different areas. Jason lives in Leichhardt. I live in Wollongong. Dale, our bass player, lives in Newcastle. Gordy lives in Melbourne. I haven't seen Gordy uh, since last March, and I'm seeing him this weekend. Uh, yeah, for, yeah. So we we got to this point where we were playing so much, and by the end of the '90s, 
we were playing so much and that's when Jason got, he had his heart problems and stuff and we kind of stopped for a bit and then kind of felt like we'd lost some kind of, uh, you know, inertia or whatever. But really it was just, um, it was just silly. We just needed to stop. We were doing, I remember once in 99, we were doing the warp tour around Australia at the same time as we were doing the touring home bake festival around Australia, playing two shows in one day, flying between cities. Uh, it was ridiculous. And we also recorded three albums in three years or four years, I think, um, including recording overseas and stuff. So it was very, uh, lucky we were young and, uh, and, and artificially, um, uh, you know, sort of, uh, kept awake so we could keep doing all that sort of stuff. But now, we only see each other when we play gigs, and it means we don't uh, get annoyed with each other. We don't get sick of each other. We have a lovely time, and it's all very respectful and wonderful. Being in a punk rock band kind of comes with shenanigans and <laughs> getting up to mischief. I've mm. had read a story about washing machine detergent. Oh, yes. It's a true story. Tell me about some of the things that have happened well, to de- you over the course of 25 years, it, Lindsay. There, there's, well, there's, washing, there's, <laughs> there's which washing detergent stories. No, the, 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 my favourite washing detergent story that uh, that Friends All Ron participated in is when we played in Esperance in, uh, in Western Australia. And um, actually, this is more of a, a, a drier than a, a detergent story. But um, after the gig, there's just nothing to do besides go to the nightclub and we weren't really feeling like you know, loud, loud, loud music. So instead, someone said to us, oh, you should just go to the West End Soapy. I'm like, what do you mean? Is that like a, what is that, a nightclub or something? Is that a bar? No, it's a West End Soapy. It's a 24-hour laundromat. So we all went there. I was still in my stage clothes, which at the time were cricket pants and like a, a blue collared shirt for some strange reason. And um, the guy's like, yeah, you put a dollar in, jump inside. And <laughs> these giant industrial dryers, you put a buck in and it goes for a minute. <laughs> So, or is probably, it hot in there? Oh my yeah, goodness. yeah, it's really hot in there. It's really hot. But the trick is, and luckily we had this guy telling us how to do it, that you um, you go in, but you've got to go in with your feet facing the door so you can kick the door open when it gets too hot. But you're also spinning around 360 degrees, so you're not quite sure where the door is in relation to the rest of the world. Um, but uh, it, everyone was fine. As if was, you would willingly do that to yourself. <laughs> that is possibly the least damaging thing that we've willingly done to ourselves in a, in a rock and roll band. It was pretty safe. I mean, you know, we're not smashing hotel. We did smash hotel once. But, you know, we're not sort of, you know, uh, driving drunk or anything like that. This is, we were drunk or we're very drunk, but we were drying drunk instead of driving drunk. Before you started presenting breakfast radio for the government-funded National Youth Mm -hmm. Broadcaster, otherwise known as Triple J, you spearheaded a compilation album with a bit of anti-government sentiment. Yeah, tell me about that. I got I got uh, I got uh, mentioned in Hansard by uh, the then Senator Santo Santoro, I believe. Um, yeah, we, um, we we sort of you know the, we come from the political side of punk rock. There's a lot of punk rock that isn't political, and that's fine. But um, we were seeing what was happening with uh, Tamper and the CVEX and the children overboard lies and everything by the government of the time, the John Howard government, is pretty horrible. Um, you know, we, we knew, uh, refugees, uh, there was an Iranian refugee who I actually recorded with, I was remembering the other day, he, he, he was, he'd just come out and we, we recorded some music with him, but, um, so we knew that the, there was a lot of lies being told and a lot of stuff. And we thought at the time, the best way to do uh, anything about it was to copy what was happening in America with the rock against Bush. And so we thought rock against Bush. Oh, we could do rock against Howard. Um, and, uh, it, uh, and so, yeah, I just, uh, emailed I guess since there was no social media back then emailed a bunch of bands um, and um, we put out a compilation a double disc with so many bands You've everyone got so many on there it's yeah. insane it is it, I've I've still got a copy at home but it's everyone from like your 
um, so some got, of the like, cates and things. There, yeah. yeah, yeah, all the way down to, um, you know, little bands that we were friends with and the Foves were on it and like rap band. The Herd were on it. We went on tour with The Herd around that time, which was hilarious. Um, friends were and The Herd on tour together. It didn't sell very well, but it was a very fun tour. Um, but it was also making money for Refugee Action Coalition and that was what it was. We were just, we didn't want to sort of, uh, we didn't want to promote any other particular party um, so what we had on the CD was whatever you do, don't vote liberal. Because at the time, um, that was what we saw as the um, as the as the biggest threat to human rights in Australia. Uh, the great irony is that the leader of the opposition party of the Labor Party, who, if we'd been successful, would have become prime minister, was Mark Latham. We were not successful. He did not become prime minister. But it was very interesting seeing um, all of the. Uh, it was interesting seeing. Um, you know, politicians, some of them in favour of what we're doing, some of them not. Uh, it was interesting to try and f- to actually feel like we were kind of doing something. I remember on election night, my friend Bo from Front End Loader gave me um, a little, because, uh, you know, um, John Howard was returned to government, but he gave me this award that he made, which was, was the Doing Something About It Award, <laughs> which was kind of nice. And it was, uh, it was a, a kind of a nice feeling, and it was nice to actually... Um, sort of make contact with all these musicians that also had the same feeling. Like before social media, it wasn't as easy to gauge everyone's political uh, leanings because you'd only see them on compilations or wearing shirts on their album sleeves or shirts on their, in the posters and stuff. And so you weren't quite sure. I mean, you sort of figure that certain musicians aim a certain direction politically, but it was nice to find this community of people that you can easily find online these days, but back in 2003, 2004, it certainly wasn't as obvious. So, yeah, and it was also nice to, if you look up my name and Hansard, you can find me being mentioned in um, in, in um, federal, That's federal parliament. That's the peak of your career. So far. Yes. <laughs> was Frenzel Rum often political? Yeah, oh, we we would do we would you know go in uh, various anti-war and uh, the Iraq war protests we were in. I remember screaming at Kamal ridiculously uh, when, he, which is unfair, but he was singing, <laughs> singing at. There's a reason for this. It's not some pro hey hey at Saturday rant. He was um he was singing at uh, a commemoration dinner for Philip Ruddock, who was the then immigration minister, who at the time was responsible for, uh, well, for when John Howard said, we will choose who comes into this country and in what circumstances they come. He was in charge of uh, enforcing that, Philip Ruddock. And so he was having a commemoration dinner for like, I don't know, 400 years in Parliament or whatever vampires get commemorated for. And Kamal was singing at it. And so we were just protesting out the front. Jason even got arrested. I remember him pushing a uh, tiny, you know, crummy little joint out through the, the slats of the Divi van so he didn't get busted for having drugs. Um, but uh, Kamal was singing at it. And so we were yelling at him as we were being held off by the cops. The poor guy who'd been through. But I mean, he was singing it. Anyway, so yeah, we used to do lots of that stuff. And also the, the veganism and vegetarianism thing. Um, uh, three members of Friends Rom are vegans now and just one vegetarian. Jason's still just a vegetarian. But, um, so we've always done that sort of stuff, um, whether it's protesting and, uh, or just um, advocating for animal rights and that sort of business. Before it was cool, kids, back in the 90s. Back, yes, back when there wasn't even back vegan cheese. You could only have bananas. And- yes. Oh, my gosh. The first tour, we, the, the, when we went to – we used in Japan – Back in the day, it was rice and soy sauce. That's all there was because everything else has fish sauce in it before we worked out how to – before there was an internet, you know, to help us eat. And I do want to delve into that <laughs> as well. But first I want to jump into a song by an artist that you've described as pretty political as well. Who is it? Oh, yeah, and also also uh, vegans. This is a band that we met on our very first tour of America. So we got to America – 
We're touring with Les and Jake, who are not a very political band, a great band if you're into Scar, and you know I am. Uh, and they were the first band to take us uh, into America, which was so great. Uh, and opening up was a band called Discount. Discount from Gainesville, Florida, I think, the home of great bands like Against Me and, uh, and Les and Jake. And, um, and Discount were so much fun. They were pop punk, but they had a message. It was a strong social bent to the music. It was a, written from the point of view of a, of a broken home, which is where the singer came from, I believe. The singer, Alison, uh, was so, um, so awesome on stage, so direct, so punk rock. Off stage was so quiet, uh, sober, vegan. They were all vegan. Uh, and it's quite interesting that Alison from Discount went on to be the same Alison that started The Kills with Jamie from the UK and then sang In the Dead Weather with Jack White. And uh, so we knew her then when, and years later I was like, is that, is that Alison Mosshart singing in The Kills? Is this Alison? I remember seeing a CD at, um, at, uh, yeah, at some record store overseas and seeing Alison Mosshart from Discount written on a sticker on it and then hearing The Kills for the first time and then hearing The Dead Weather, seeing her like swigging vodka and smoking ciggies on stage and I remember interviewing her at Triple J and saying, do you remember? You know, on those, those tours where you would just, you know, eat an apple after your show and sit down quietly writing poetry and, you know, not drinking and not smoking. And she's like, yeah, I was like 15. <laughs> no idea. But they were so great. They were so very political and very positive as well. They were in that kind of political, but not particularly, not, not, not aggressively angry. They were angry at the world, but they were positive about changing the world. And it was really kind of nice to be on a tour with a band that had the same ethical at least dietary ethics as us and um and were really really nice not to say less than jake weren't nice but that is a lot of meat and then blink 182 joined that tour as well just as i think damn it came out and suddenly they were the biggest you know three-piece potty mouth punk band in the world uh also not very political and not particularly vegetarian either so it was nice to be on this band this first american band we'd met that were so lovely and uh and i think still such so good i still put on a taxi is all right tonight which was the first album and then half fiction was the second album i still put them on well let's jump into a song by discount now mm-hmm. what have you chosen oh this is mallory's mission uh this whole album a taxi is all right tonight i think is based around uh, domestic and family violence and escaping from it uh, not just physically escaping from it but getting like f- you know escaping from the effects and the trauma of, uh, of domestic family violence which is pretty cool for an album released in like 1995 this is Mallory's Mission by Discount on FBI Radio 94.5 you're listening to Out of the Box with me Mia Hull and Lindsay McDougall the Doctor <laughs>
It was Discount on FBI Radio. My name is Mia Hull, and right now on Out of the Box, I'm joined by the host of Drive on ABC Illawarra, Lindsay McDougall. Lindsay, you've been kicking around radio stations for a while now. What's your earliest memory of paying attention to the radio? Gosh, um, listening to Club Veg, uh, which is a Triple M um, show in like the 80s, maybe with my cousin Clint. I remember him coming down from the Central Coast and we were listening to... No, he showed me Triple J actually because he think, he said I wouldn't like it because it's all heavy metal and hip hop, and I was into yeah I was into much more broad music on Triple M, and I remember the really bad comedy songs that Club Veg would do. I had a CD of theirs as well. I remember one that went, "I'm wearing vinyl pants, vinyl pants like a second skin." And I'm hip, I'm so advanced. Sounds like Death Cab for Cutie when I sing it there, but it wasn't supposed to sound. But yeah, it was a, uh, a, a, and the shape I'm in is all the shape of the art, of the art. And what, the joke's coming. And what shapes the arts in when I try to walk around in vinyl pants? Sounds just like farting. That was, that was the, that was the, the humour level that I was listening to How back old then. were you? Uh, I guess that was like I was nine, ten, eleven maybe. Uh, yeah, that would have been just the very end of the 80s, I suppose, maybe early 90s. I don't know, maybe someone will say, actually, that was like 98. <laughs> I feel like it was the early 90s, though. I had a, yeah, I remember listening to them and like Doug Mulray and all that sort of stuff. And my mum did buy me a, um, possibly cheap from the toy shop that she owned, one of those, um, it was like a home kids radio kit that had like a little microphone you could talk into and a couple of sound effect buttons and things and a tape deck so you could record your own um radio shows and i worked out you could press play on another radio another or another cassette player and like actually play songs into it and i used to put myself in my in my cupboard in my bedroom which was my radio studio and actually make radio and this is funny because when I joined Frenzel Rom, I forgot all about this and had no idea that I had ever done had any radio aspirations at all. In fact, I remember someone telling me that I had you know a great radio voice. And I was like, I don't want to do radio. That's what, I've never thought of that. And I did, did did that. And also, when I was three, I interviewed my brothers in the cot with a, with a makeshift like a pretend microphone, no, a real microphone for a dictaphone or something, and interviewed my my newborn brothers. So apparently there was a bit of you know, a bit of a precursor to radio. Yeah, because I I was under the impression that when you started, it kind of just happened to you, and it wasn't something that you'd yeah. originally wanted to do. No, well by that stage uh, in two thousand and four, um, we'd been. We were back on the road, like we so we stopped playing a bit in the year two thousand when Jason was sick, and we started again and released an album that wasn't very good, and we just released another album which we loved, San Susi. But then we kind of, sort of, um, we're just not really vibing on going on the road for these long stretches and stuff again. And um, I remember I talked to my mates at the Hopeton and the Annandale hotels, saying, "Oh, you know, maybe I should do a little bit of door work, you know, because we've been we got signed to a major in at the end of the nineties." And we'd been given an advance, and that was just about to run out by about 2004, I think it was. And so I was like, maybe I'll just do, you know, just, just do the door, stand people's hands, 50 bucks a night or whatever. And um, I think it was a, in that same month that Triple J started doing our, getting us to, you know, do some shifts and do interviews and stuff. So once again, just kind of, it wasn't a career trajectory, at least not a conscious one. And then we just got, yeah, pulled into this new world. When you say pulled into a new world, you were pulled straight onto the breakfast, breakfast program, show. Yes. weren't you? Yeah, Adam and Will were leaving and they wanted to do something different. Gosh, uh, got to love, uh, it was Linda Bracken, um, who was the boss at Triple J at the time. And she, yeah, just, I'm pretty sure it was mostly her. She had to convince the people above her they didn't want to do just another 
radio team, and this is another obvious comedian radio team or whatever, so they'd try two people who had never done radio before and had a history of swearing and sleeping in to do a breakfast show. <laughs> so. Yeah, you, so you just get thrown straight on to yeah. a flagship show on the mm. nation's it's stupid. youth broadcast. It's really, yeah, What's huge. that feel like? Uh, it was really, it was not only scary, but it was also really kind of um like tiring and like really hard it was really hard because we'd done we did do some of a, a drive show the year before just when chris and craig who were doing today today um from the chaser they took a break and we did like six weeks of that to actually do a regular daily show but yeah it was it was unrelenting and we had lots and lots of ideas but then you realize that everyone when they start doing a radio show for the first time has all the same ideas and they're all exactly the same and they're just kind of whatever you know i can't remember, like you know i can't remember any of them but it's like oh well, we should do this or we should you know do do this do, you know make it we ended up doing some pretty cool things we did some great radio plays we were very um stoked and very lucky that we had this great producer Craig Shufton who his brain works like a pro tools rig and he could make the most amazing you know radio plays out of our dumb ideas but yeah, doing it every day from, you know, getting into work at five in the morning was very tiring. <laughs> it definitely took the toll on both of us. I just must have more tolerance for that kind of stuff. So I stuck around longer. Well, much longer. You yeah, spent heaps ten, longer. You yes. spent 10 years yeah. at Triple J. I did. What are some of the highlights of, you know, spending 10 years at that station? That's amazing. Um, I was, it was, it was all just going around the country and doing stuff that was slightly different to touring was, was so much fun. Like doing, because when you tour and go around countries, you see hotel rooms and you see pubs. When you tour with um, the one night stand on Triple J, which is when we actually got to go around the country, your whole job is to go out and see things. So going out and hanging out with people in places, that was just amazing stuff to actually see the country properly and and see it because you have to take it in because you're talking about it um and also having i remember jason called it having his genre having my genre blinkers prized open because since joining friends or all i really did was listen to pop like listen to pop punk music or punk rock music or whatever bands we're on tour with people that we would give us cds whatever like i i would rarely listen to anything that wasn't vaguely punk rock related um except for you know, the classics or whatever. But, so actually listening to new music of all these kind of genres and really, really loving it. Loving it a lot more than Jason did. I don't think Jason was too, as much of a fan of the music as I was. So getting to meet all these great musicians who play electronic music, uh, who, who sing rap hip-hop. Sing and rap hip-hop. Who's the 43-year-old talking now? Um, yeah, but like do all, the, the, um, just make all this amazing music and, and getting to hang out with them and, and you know, play music with them occasionally and interview them and, and get drunk with them and all that stuff. And it just it was just a whole different world that I wasn't used to. I'm very used to getting drunk with punk rock musicians, but it's very different getting drunk with electronic musicians. I don't know if that's true or not, but I just loved it. And being uh, working at Triple J gave me that opportunity to actually just meet so many more people and um, just – Open. It sounds ridiculous, but open my mind to all these other types of music. It was great fun. <laughs> you left in two thousand and fourteen. What yeah. What's it like to walk away from all of that? It was awesome. It was great. It was awesome because I was done. As in, I was at exactly the right age, and we'd done so much, and uh, and I'd had just I, I had done everything with Triple J that I wanted to do. That you know I, I'd um done yeah silly radio plays done silly songs i'd done all this cool stuff and i was at that certain age i guess i was just about i was getting close to 40 that i just thought that for me to do that stuff it just didn't seem right anymore i think there's excellent reasons for other people of whatever age to still be at triple j or whatever but i was just like i'm done with all this i want to leave now while i'm you know i haven't embarrassed myself too much so 
I kind of yeah we'd done we'd done all the things I'd done I did a, a charity single which got to number one on the charts which was hilarious to to think a song that I'd written and had people like Abby May and Bertie Blackman and Andy Bull and Phil Jamison and uh, the guys from Fundamentals all that sing on this and rap on it and um to that went to the top of the charts and we made thousands of bucks for um Red Cross and I'd done all these other silly things we we did this campaign called Jacket Off which was a winter campaign for um for op shops where we encourage everyone to uh to if if they would you know to to get their old jackets take the jackets off and donate them to charity and uh we got like so many people to say the term jacket off triple j wants you to jacket off this winter it was just so yeah i'd done a lot of cool things and it was it was high time to you know let someone else do prank calls or whatever they do now i don't know <laughs> What's the next song you've chosen for today? Ah, yes. So this is uh, one of the other cool things about leaving Triple J was that I could actually start playing heaps more music again because it was a bit of a a, a juggling act, getting time to do Friends or Rom stuff. There wasn't – now at work I can kind of just say I've got to play a gig and they're like, yeah, whatever, we don't care. And then for some reason, thank you very much to ABC Lawyer for that. But, um, but yeah, it was harder at Triple J because it's a national show and, you know, they've got certain – you know, it could only take breaks in non-rating seasons. So – um, uh, I got to do a lot of cool things and play music with a lot of cool people. And one of those things I got to do through um, through Skinny Fish Records uh, in Darwin was uh, they asked me to drive eight hours into West Arnhem Land from Darwin to a community called Manmoy and uh, meet up with this band called Narbalek. Now, Narbalek have been around since the 80s, but they've only played a handful of gigs. They only come into town to play gigs once every couple of years. And Darwin Festival wanted them to play at the festival to support Sarah Blasco. And they're this amazing rock and roll band. They put out like four or five albums since the 80s. Like, that's it. And so I went to Darwin. I, I got the ABC to uh, send a cameraman to do it for the ABC TV show, The Mix, to record this because I'm thinking this is ridiculous that I get to do this. And uh, we both drove eight hours in a troop carrier, which is, you know, those sort of looks like in the um, diesel and dust, midnight oil kind of era. That's where they were driving. I got to drive one of those across um, the uh, the desert, the Ar- Arnhem Land, from Darwin all the way through Kakadu, across Kales Crossing, past Jabiru, across Kales Crossing with all the crocodiles, driving to Manmoy, meet these this band Narbalek that I had not even spoken to. We had to stop outside of town and find the drummer who was somewhere else or the bass player who was going to come the next day, all this. It was amazing. And then meet all these guys um, and then rehearse with them because I wasn't only tour managing them, I was playing guitar for them as well because one of their guitarists wasn't around anymore, wasn't in the band anymore. And so we hung out in Manmoy, camping in swags, um, you know, cooking food on a fire and um, and rehearsing with this band. And then I got them all, and there's like eight people total ended up coming because there was like wives and kids and stuff as well in the back of a troop carrier, drove back another eight hours to Darwin, sound checked, um, and then... The next day, we opened. It was, was kind of played the the, the feature set at um, Darwin Festival before Sarah Blasco played, and it was just ridiculous that I was like, you know, this is only like I think I'd only been out of Triple J two years, and I'd already started doing these amazing things. It was the same year that I also I played guitar with Katie Baker there when she did her album launch for uh, her Zinc record. I also was in the backing band for the Nemas, playing with members of Yothu Yindi and stuff. It was just a um, it was pretty ridiculous that I got to do all this stuff and uh, and and also, yeah, one of the most fun times that I'd had. Let's jump into a Narvalek song right now on FBI Radio 94.5. This is Down Under. Down 
traveling in a brand new tropic On a beanie trailer full of stories I met a strange dollar, she made me nervous She took me in and gave me my meal That was Down Under by Narbalek on FBI Radio, a track chosen by my guest on Out of the Box, Lindsay McDougall. Lindsay is the host of Drive on ABC Illawarra, the lead guitarist of Frenzel Rom and a regular contributor on the Vegans in Wollongong Facebook group. <laughs> Lindsay, how long have you been vegan? It's the Vegongs, it's called. The Thank Vegongs. You. Vegans in Wollongong. Vegongs, you get it? It's very, vegans are very witty. Um, uh, when I joined Frenzel Rom in 96, Jason told me I had to go vegetarian or I wasn't allowed in the band. Um, he's vegetarian and uh, the guitarist I was replacing is vegan. Our manager's vegan. A lot of people in the band uh, are associated with the band of vegetarian or vegan. And so I went vegetarian in 96 and went vegan probably in 97 or 98. I can't remember my veganuary. See, vegans are very witty. Um, but yeah, since then. And uh, it's, yeah, uh, I've, 
only ever living better. It's only getting easier to eat. Just, I mean, if you tell uh, 19-year-old Lindsay that one day you'll be able to order pizza to be delivered to your house with vegan cheese and all of that stuff. And like, I live in Wollongong and it's amazing how much the, um, the the vegan world has come to satellite cities of Sydney, satellite cities of Melbourne, same in Geelong, same in Ballarat and all these places. It's just amazing, the big brands, but also just restaurants are just doing so well and, and supermarkets are, are making money stocking vegan products. They never used to do that. So there's this economic reason for it. And apart from... A little bit of time when I first went vegan, as I think all vegans do, of being really actively, passionately, angrily vegan and getting, you know, tutting people for, you know, walking past the McDonald's bags and throwing, you know, leather boots, you know, away when I walk through the op shop. I've got this point in veganism very quickly where I think it's more about showing people how well you can live and how easy it is and how much fun it is and, you know, how um, delicious it is to be vegan and that sort of. For me, it's so much, I mean, maybe it's laziness on my part, but it's so much easier to, uh, to make the case for it or just to, to lead by example than it is to sit there all po-faced and, you know, whip my back with a, some sort of, uh, you know, non-leather whip talking about the damage that, uh, that we're doing to all the creatures on this earth or whatever. I think it's better to go, yeah, yeah, that's all real, but I just had a s'mores marshmallow taco from a place in Gaimere, which I did last, last week, as a matter of fact. It's... Social media and the and the rise of the internet for all its problems has made these communities so much easier to connect to other people. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. I love when I pop onto Vegongs and I see <laughs> Lindsay's found the hottest new mock meat, <laughs> which is probably <laughs> on sale at yeah, Cromwell Woolies right that, now. Yeah, that's, that one's made out of uh, one's one's made out of mushrooms. It's amazing. It's so good. You make a stew out of it. It's delicious. And you've been an animal yeah. rights activist for some time now as well. What mm-hmm. kind of projects have you been involved with in oh, that respect? Well, I did. I did a bit of the um, you know standing outside circuses, yelling at people, and all that. kind kind of thing but I I, uh, I I started to err on the side of food and got into um, uh, recipes like giving people great you know contributing to cookbooks I did actually there's a, a place called Edgar's Mission in Victoria which is an amazing animal sanctuary they started out this is a, a, a bad retelling of the story but when Pam the owner realized that the animals from Babe the amazing acting animals all, all didn't like the, after that movie that was their last role because they just got that was it they're, they're done and a lot of them got killed so she saved a pig from the babe movie and that's the that's how she started her sanctuary and now it's massive it's out in regional victoria and it's full of the most amazing animals who have all been saved not from movie sets anymore but from um just sort of leftovers from from um you know other uh agricultural concerns if they can't look after their you know, sheep stuck down the bottom of the farm or whatever and uh so um, I did this book. Uh, I just helped out with a cook uh, with a recipe for them most recently. It's a really good cookbook, actually. I'm not a big cookbook guy, but it's a really good one. So I do that kind of thing and just kind of, you know, lend our hands to to various um, causes. I think Peter got us to do a few things where we'd step. We weren't nude. That was good. I'm glad Peter didn't ask us to be nude. But you know, holding, you know, getting covered in blood and doing all that sort of thing, which I think um, for all of the uh, the concerns about Peter, I think a lot of that does make an impact on younger people because they like those big sort of big easy to understand things rather than you know a 20 page dissertation into the you know what's wrong with um, uh, I don't know um, coconut or was it palm oil. The next track you've chosen is by a vegan band. Oh, yes. Another one. Yes. Two vegan bands. Are we? Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's you're right. on fire. That's right. eat a lot of meat and tism aren't vegan, so we've, we've balanced it out so far. <laughs> <laughs> What's the song you've chosen? Okay, this is one of the songs in the world that makes me cry, which is um, – I actually, the last time 
I, I tested this because last one time I realized that it made me cry. I had been drinking white wine in the sun in the kitchen, um, but then I tried it when I was driving, and it also made me get a bit teary. So it's and, and I don't drink anymore. So that's probably um, uh, to do with it. But um, it's propaganda. Any any uh, punk rockers uh, probably know about propaganda. Great band. Been vegan for since the start, as far as I know. Um, their first two records, which are very different to all the music they put out since, sort of these pump. Uh, pop punk sort of iconic records, How to Clean Everything and um, Let's Talk More Rock. And that was something I listened to so much when I was young and trying to work out how to play guitar in a punk rock band. I'd listen to Let's Talk More Rock over and over again because it's got some of the best guitar work. And um, they, yeah, very big vegans back then. They even had a um, a vegan cafe in Winnipeg where they, um, where they live um, underneath their record company, G7 Welcoming Committee Records. And we went there once, which is amazing. I remember we had... Um, uh, uh, bacon lettuce, BLT for the first time in ages. This amazing Canadian, um, I don't know what it was made out of, maybe tofu, maybe tempeh, but it was great. And uh, anyway, so yeah, they, but they do all, so what, so Frenzel doesn't do serious very well. We do silly songs. We sing about, you know, guns don't kill ducklings, ducklings kill ducklings. That's our, that's our vegan, you know, uh, song or whatever. Or, um, uh, what's that other one we've got? Um, sex and drugs and buying stuff and cruelty to animals. I think that's going to make it into a record. I don't know. We, we, we write silly songs. We're not very good up on the pulpit. Propagandy are, though, because they've got the brains. They know what they're talking about. Chris Hanna, the most amazing lyricist in Propagandy, doesn't. he's gone from being a teenager, as he was on Let's Talk More Rock and How to Clean Everything, to writing yeah, writing these songs, you know, what is it? Um, uh, consider someone else, stop consuming animals, that kind of stuff to telling these stories that just drag you in. There's a story uh, called uh, on another album called Potemkin City Limits, all about this cow that escaped from a, uh, from a truck, taking it off to slaughter. And it is the most heart-wrenchingly positive, beautiful, sad song about this cow and the statue, which apparently is there. It's a real story. It may have been a pig. Sorry if I'm getting the species wrong. But um, anyway, the song that I've chosen is, uh, it's at the end of the most recent album. It's called Adventures in Zucosis. And um, it's the story, um, which you'll hear in the lyrics, uh, told from the point of view of a lion in a zoo to his children. And I saw a friend of mine, Mo, the other day talking about it as an allegory, as a metaphor for us all, where we are in life, trapped in blah, blah, blah. But I'd like to believe that it is like... Chris has written before, um, written from the point of view of, of an animal in a zoo, and his uh, realisation that it's that the way the life has treated him, the way that his hand has been dealt in this life, is that there is no hope for him, but there's still hope for his kids. And it just floors me. It's insane. And also, the riffs are very good. It's got a really long um, lead-in at the start, too, with some um, sounds of... Donald Trump giving a speech and sounds of, uh, uh, and also Chris Hanna's uh, baby kid speak, uh, sort of making noises in the background. So I'll understand if uh, at the moment you're slowly bringing that up to the start of the mad, mad guitar riffs. You know, I'm quite a man of the attractive I'm just like kissing them. It's like a magnet. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Grab them by the pussy. We're going to build the wall. We have no choice. We have no choice. It's Propagandy on FBI Radio 94.5. This is Adventures in Zucosis.
more consensus. Give the masses the benefit of the doubt. Is this a democratic process? What will this population out? I think we're only fearing death. Instead, it may not be the end. We may be internal beings. I must do all of this again. Keep his whip for so damn long. I think the sad truth is this enclosure is where your old man belongs. But you, your hearts are pure when the operant conditioners come to break you in. I sink my squandered teeth. You grab your little brother's hand, run like the wind. If I'm not there, don't look back. Just go. I don't give a fuck about the original programs. Implemented to extend our captive lifespans. Motherfucker, gonna get a load of what I got planned. Adventures in Zucosis. It was Propagandi on FBI Radio 94.5. My name is Mia Hull and right now I'm joined by ABC Illawarra Drive presenter Lindsay McDougall. You left Triple J in 2014 and you mm. were talking briefly about how that opened up so many opportunities mm. for you. You played in bands. Yeah, got to travel and actually see, yeah, like, yeah, just, just play in so many different types of bands and stuff, yeah. Yeah, and then you jumped onto ABC Radio Illawarra mm -hmm. in 2018. Right. Was there any radio in between that? Uh, very. I, my, my wife and I did a podcast when we drove around Australia. That was fun. But um, no, I, I would hang out at different radio stations in the ABC, ABC in Darwin, ABC in Brisbane. But no, I, um, I did do one shift at FBI, I think, when Simon Aveling, I don't know, is he, that is what he's... With, Jack Off was uh, was away for a day, um, and would do interviews um, for with uh, with people for Friends or Romney put out a, an album in that time. So I did a lot of radio interviews, but no, I I did no, no radio. It was kind of nice to get to just focus on um, just playing guitar. 
which was pretty cool. And you've got a few Friends of Rom shows coming up as well. You mentioned oh, yeah. them before. You're playing Spring Loaded Sydney in Ranwick mm-hmm. on the 8th of May and Full Tilt Festival on the 31st of July. Mm-hmm. What can people expect to see? Um, well, uh, possibly uh, relatively rusty <laughs> musicians playing together. No, we're, we're, as I said, we're rehearsing this weekend, so we'll be, and we've got three shows in, in Melbourne coming up as well, so we'll be absolutely uh, uh, properly rehearsed. And I'm very looking forward to playing with all of these these bands too, especially like the Spring Loaded Festival. We've known those people for so long, um, so it's going to be great to hang out with all those people and play all of these songs. I feel like we'll probably focus on some older songs since we're playing with this, you know, sort of older age. Maybe maybe that show will will aim at the at the older songs, and the Full Tilt show will play some newer songs, or maybe we'll play exactly the same set and hopefully hope there's no crossover. Tell the same jokes and everything. <laughs> we'll see. Well, whatever one appeals to you, you can choose. I'll mm-hmm. pop the details to that up in the program's page on fbiradio.com. Mm-hmm. Lindsay, along with Frenzel Rom, you've been playing with the rapper Briggs. Yes. How did that happen? That was uh, one of the cool things about working at Triple J was interviewing all these people. And then after I, and I interviewed Briggs a few times. And uh, after I finished up at Triple J, I got a text from him saying, hey, I'm putting a band together to uh, tour the Shep, Life, the Shep Life record that he put out in 2014. Uh, and he wants me to be his slash in that he wants to be Axl Rose and he wants me to be slash. And uh, I was absolutely blown away because I, I had not thought about that kind of thing. I I'd figured that I'd do some Frenzel and I was doing some cover band stuff, like some funny cover band stuff with some friends, but that was about it. And, um, and my brothers, I was playing a bit with my brothers doing cover band stuff. But yeah, so I got to play all of these, yeah, these songs. I, I love the Shep Life album. And I, you know, interviewed him about it. I was possibly relatively sycophantic and effusive in the interview. So that's probably why he thought I'd be the right person to ask because I um, already liked the songs. And so, yeah, and, and to play so many different styles of music. The cool thing about hip hop is the samples come from everywhere. You know, they come from old soul records. They come from other hip hop records. They come from jazz. They come from rock and roll. They come from other bands. Like on that record, he sampled Sieta which is uh, the James and Katie who were singing with him at the time as well. So I had to learn so many different types of music or play so many different types of music just to play Briggs songs. And not only that, some of the songs don't even have guitar in them or at least not identifiable riffs. So I got to make up my own and play them on top of, uh, of, the, of the existing tracks. And we'd, so we'd play with you know, a bass player, a keyboard player, a drummer and a turntablist. And so we'd get to have this kind of combination of backing tracks but they're being played off um, you know turntables is playing them so he can you know loop them and play and, and can keep them going or you know cut them short and then with live instruments as well it was such a different way of playing um it probably t- helped me play in time as well playing with a you know an actual recorded drummer um so yeah pretty uh awesome thing once again to fall into to get to do that and you've chosen a briggs song to end on as well oh yeah bad apples this is cool. This is this is uh, we close the show with this. Um, you'll have to imagine the really sick wah guitar. So this is the song where I actually get to go full slash at the end of the Briggs set and um, and play just lots of wah and uh, and go crazy. But it is such a cool song and another one of those um, stories that Briggs tells so well about his life growing up in Shepparton or the life of his cousins of his family, um, you know, being deprived of the opportunities that so many other people have. But um, kind of not doing it in a in a victim way doing it in a this is this is why this is happening kind of way and this is what's happening in the world kind of way um and yeah it's cool and it's got a uh, backing vocals that go woof which is cool it's what you want in a song <laughs> exactly right lindsay mcdougall 
Thank you so much for jumping on the guest mic today for that's Out right. of the Box. That's very. I'm, I'm very happy to be. Oh, I forgot to tell you the one thing that is also happening is that I'm auctioning off a guitar for Crowbar, this band, uh, this guitar that I um, played on two records, on Meet the Family and on um, Man's Not a Camel. And uh, it's a 1970s Gibson SG. And uh, we're helping out a, yeah, a venue that's doing it really tough at the moment. So if you go to my Facebook page, you can find out information about that. Beautiful. And yeah. I'll put mm-hmm. the details to that up in the program's page on fbiradio.com. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're jumping into a song by Briggs. It's called Bad Apples. Mm-hmm. This song does come with a big language warning. And don't go anywhere. In a few minutes' time, Brie Kennedy will be here to take you through lunch. Thanks. Bye. No worries. See ya. Oh, you weren't saying goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> They go from stealing bikes to stealing lives. So many young hands grip a stainless steel knife. See a kid that don't like, they're messing him up. What's wrong or what's right is giving less of a fuck. Sticking them up, left, right, stitching them up. Everything revolves around getting the cut. Middle fingers up, fist of cuss, pissing it up. Before the pen license, fisting the cuffs. They don't use them to pack shells, they use them to pack cells. Up in the system before they even crack 12 You can paint a pretty picture using Norton pastels But it's black and white and the ladder still sells What kind of life is that? They're getting born in town Teacher can't reach them, I'm getting fucking water that They couldn't spell the name off the bat I bet you they can tell you where to score a quarter at They're growing up fast, they're growing up tough They're giving back everything they never got as a pop And if they... Want something, you're giving it up. If they want something, you're giving it up. They growing up fast, they're growing up tough. They're giving back everything they never got as a pop. And if they want something, you're giving it up. If they want something, you're giving it up. They say one bad apple can spoil a whole bunch. What if all you had was bad apples for lunch? What if all you had was all you could touch? And what if before you even had a dream you were crushed? They weren't raised wrong, they weren't raised at all. You watch the bell break and watch the cradle fall. And now you're surprised when the baby talks and he's asking what the fuck are you staring for? Where their mothers, huh? Where's their fathers, huh? There's another one And the problems tenfold And the learning tricks younger cuz What you want ain't always what you get Sometimes what you get is like a kick to the head I guess you can chalk it up to cause and effect But the core is all rotten and they gotta be fed They're growing up fast, they're growing up tough They're giving back everything they never got as a pop And if they want something, you're giving it up If they want something, you're giving it up Growing up fast, they're growing up tough They're giving back everything they never got as a pop And if they want something, you're giving it up If they want something, you're giving it up It ain't worth it, who cursed it? Point the fingers at the ones who birthed it Brought to earth a brand new person The same ones that called them all worthless And called them good for nothing, I call them cousin I call them brother and sister, I still love them. Brother and sister, I still love them. Brother and sister, I still love them.
podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts. 